0: Man, those are some pretty weighty words. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Man. Those hit me hard today. Man. So in Matthew 23, we jump into a conversation where Jesus is is talking to some Pharisees. And um, the Pharisees have kind of approached him to trap him or to cause him to slip. And so uh, they want him to make a mistake. And so they're asking him these questions. And instead of falling into their trap, Jesus then responds by teaching them and the crowd and the disciples. And ultimately, he teaches us. And so in Matthew 23... Verses 25-28, through he says this to the Pharisees and the religious teachers of the day. He says, What sorrow awaits you, you religious teachers and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. What sorrow awaits you, you religious teachers and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Those are some pretty intense words from Jesus. Remember, he's teaching these Pharisees, and what he's doing is he's revealing to these Pharisees that sorrow will await them because ultimately they are too concerned with the wrong thing. He says two things. He says, first, you're too concerned with only cleaning the outside of the cup and the dish, but yet you neglect the filthy inside of the cup. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever just been focused on the outside of the cup rather than the inside? Or, or let me say this. Have you ever left like a cup or your lunch in your car for a few days after you've eaten it? It's, is that just me? Some of you are like, man, you're gross. Um, so, so when you look at that, that, that cup you left in the car, it gets kind of gross. or that dish, for me, I don't even want to clean it. I just want to throw it away because I know the inside is absolutely filthy. And that's what Jesus is talking about. You can't just clean the outside. I can hold that dish. I can have that dish in my hand, even though I know inside that dish it's absolutely gross. And that's what Jesus is talking about. You can't just clean the outside of the cup. You have to focus on what's on the inside. He also says they are too concerned with what's beautiful on the outside. He brings up this idea of whitewashed tombs, which, in other words, people back in their day, they would uh, make the tombs beautiful on the outside, but really, that's for someone who's passed away. Those people are dead inside. Why would you be concerned with the outside when you're just putting something that's dead on the inside? And so we're left asking, why are the Pharisees and the religious teachers doing this? Why why are they concerned about these certain things? And we all understand that you need to clean the inside as well as the outside. We all understand that it doesn't matter what you put into the tomb. It's still dead in there. And so what is Jesus getting at? Well, he wants us to understand in Matthew 23 that sorrow will await you If you try to fix your deepest need on your own. Let me say that again. Sorrow will await you. It's going to be there to greet you if you try to fix your deepest need on your own. Which then that leads to the next question. Well, what is our deepest need? I'm so glad you asked. Our deepest need is a new, pure heart. Our deepest need is a new, pure heart. We're in, the mes- we're in a message series called The Good Life. And um, we have been going through Matthew chapter 5, the, the Beatitudes, right at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today we are looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. So if you have your Bible with you, you can go to Matthew 5, 8. We, we're going to be there all day. But if not, we'll have it on the screens. And what Jesus wants us to understand in Matthew 5, 8, is that our greatest need is a pure heart, not our religious practices. And I'm going to say that very clearly today. Again, our greatest need in life is a pure heart, not our religious practices. Because one is going to lead to blessedness or happiness, as Matthew 5 says, but the other is going to lead to sorrow, as Matthew 23 says. And so let's jump right in and look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. And in order to make sure you're awake, let's read this together today, all right? So make sure you uh, read loud, don't be shy. Matthew 5, 8. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. That's it. One verse. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that this is one of the greatest utterances to be found anywhere in the whole realm of Scripture. Why? Because the reward is something that we all desperately desire. The reward of a pure heart is that we would see God. If you've been to a funeral at any point in life, no matter whose funeral you go to, the hope is that 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 person, that loved one of ours, is seeing God, right? Right? I don't think I've ever been to a funeral where there's ever been a different hope, but the hope or the desire for that person and for ourselves is that when our life ends here on earth, that we will then see God. And so here in Matthew 5, 8, Jesus is is explaining to us what it takes to see God, what it takes for us to then pass from this life to the next in order to then see God in our lives. That's why it's one of the greatest utterances that we can read in all of Scripture. But what has happened over time and time again is that people have taken this verse the wrong way. Like the Pharisees, many people have taken it to mean that they need to purify their own hearts. Or in other words, they try to fix it themselves. Uh, I don't know about you, but in our marriage, my wife will come to me with an issue. And instantly, while she's talking, I kind of stop listening to her. Uh, I try to fix the issue in my mind. Maybe you can relate. But what I've come to realize over 10 years of marriage is that that's not right. She doesn't like that all the time. Sometimes she wants me to fix the issue right away. But sometimes she just wants me to give her a hug. Sometimes she just wants the compassion or just for me to listen. But yet my instinct is to fix it. And I think that that pours over into our spiritual lives as well. We read this verse, Matthew 5a, and we read that those who have a pure heart will see God. Well, okay then, I'm going to purify my heart. It's that simple. And so that's exactly what Jesus isn't saying for us to do. We are not to be like the Pharisees to try to purify our own hearts, because here I'm going to break it to you, we cannot purify our own hearts. We cannot fix our impure hearts on our own. And so let's look at what Jesus is trying to teach us in this one beatitude, Matthew 5, 8. First, we have to look at that word heart. What does he mean by that word heart? Heart. When the Bible talks about the word heart, it is primarily referring to the center of a person's being. Or in other words, when it talks about the heart, it's talking about the fountain from which everything flows. A few years ago, we went to the Grand Canyon. And as you're standing there watching and looking at the Grand Canyon, you can't help but notice this amazing, massive river that just weaves its way through the rock. It was such a powerful river that over time, and it's just kind of weaved its way through these amazing, beautiful canyons. You see, what's what's more important about the Colorado River, more interesting, I should say, is that if you actually go to La Padre Pass in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado, you can actually go to the beginning of the Colorado River. And, and, and if you didn't know, the beginning of the Colorado River, it's basically a swamp. It's just runoff. And there are points of the river where you literally can straddle the Colorado River, the river that flows through the Grand Canyon. You see, when the Bible's talking about the heart, it's talking about the beginning or the fountain or the spring from which your life flows. It's talking about that beginning point. It's talking about what flows from our lives. It says that the heart is the spring of our will, our intellect, our feelings, what we say, and ultimately, our troubles. And so in this context, when we talk about this word heart, Jesus was referring to our core, our being. Because we have a core, we have a being. We're more than just bodies. We have a soul. Jesus is referring to our core, our soul. So that's the word heart. But then that begs the question, well, what, what is it about our hearts that we need to understand? Well, first, and what we're going to get to is that our hearts are impure. There's an issue with it. But yet Jesus requires a pure heart to see God. And so let's talk about that word purity for a second. What, what does it mean by the word pure in Scripture? Well, you know, you know what pure means. It, pure means something without defects. Jesus is talking about this idea of a heart that has no tint to it. If you look at diamonds, the more tint they have, the more impure they are. The purest diamonds are the ones that are clear. They have no color to them. And so when Jesus says that the pure in heart will see God, he's talking about a couple different types of purity. A couple different ideas of what pure looks like. And so first, he's talking about those who are pure in heart are without hypocrisy, are without hypocrisy. Uh, we just read in Matthew 23, you hypocrites. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and he calls them out, and he calls them for who they are. He says, you hypocrites. That word hypocrisy means to say one thing and do the other. And in Matthew 23, Jesus says that Hey, you guys are people who teach the law, but you don't practice the law. You are hypocrites. And so the opposite of hypocrite means you're single-minded. Or in other words, you're completely devoted. And so those who are pure in heart are completely devoted to God. I love what Psalm 8611 says. It says, teach me your way, O Lord. That I may walk in your truth. And here's the best part. It says, unite my heart to fear your name. Or in other words, he's saying, purify my heart so that I can be completely devoted and one with you. Because the reality is, is that we all have a divided heart, don't we? We all have a heart that is completely divided between the flesh and the spirit or the world and and God, however you want to say it. We all have this divided heart. And so our prayer is to be united in heart with God. And so that's the first idea of being what pure in heart means is to be without hypocrisy. But he also goes a little further. He says those who are pure in heart are also without defilement. And so not only uh, should we have a, a single-minded, fully devoted heart to God, but we also need a heart that is not defiled. That word defiled means ruined. Have you ever had something that's been ruined before? We just, uh, we just got deaths for schools for our kids at home. It's the worst when they come in the mail and they have dents in them, don't they? It's like, I just bought this. It's it's not ruined, but it's defiled. It's impure. It's not perfect. You see, that's where our hearts are. They're defiled. They are ruined. They're tainted. They're tarnished. And in Revelation 22, verses 14 through 15, we see that those who are not defiled, they will enter by the gates into the presence of God. But those who are defiled will be outside the gates. And so our defilement defines whether we walk through the gates or not. And so Jesus brings up this idea that those who are pure in heart are not only without hypocrisy, not only single-minded, but they're also people who aren't ruined. They're pure, as as it says. And so only those who are without hypocrisy and those, only those who are without defilement can see God. Can see God. And so the last question we need to look at is, what does it mean to actually see God? What does it mean to actually see God? And this has been debated all over the years. This is the reward of a pure heart is to see God in our lives. It's one of the greatest promises of Scripture. But throughout history, people have debated on What does that mean? We can't fully understand what it means to see God. Because throughout Scripture, some people get to see God and some people don't. Okay? So it's kind of like twofold. But we can safely assume two different things. We can safely assume that Jesus is saying we can see God in what will be. Or in other words, our future hope. When we will be with him for eternity. I love what First John three two says. It says, "We know that when He appears, in other words, when Jesus comes for a second time, the second coming, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We shall see Him as He is. We will have the ability to see God, to be in His presence when we are in His yeah, when we are glorified and in His presence." I mentioned this before, but everyone who has experienced death of a loved one and maybe themselves are close to death, they long for their loved ones or themselves to see God. To be welcomed by Jesus with that imperishable wreath, to be told, well done. We all have that desire to see God. And that's one thing that Jesus says, the pure in heart will see God in what will be. But I think it goes a little further than that, because between what will be when we pass from this life to the next, and today, we still have to live life, don't we? There's still every single day we're living. And so uh, I think we can also safely assume that Jesus is referring to the fact that we can also see God in the here and now. Yes, we're supposed to have our eyes focused on what will be, but we also have to experience today. And so for those who have a relationship with Jesus, I think we can all agree upon that we get to see God on a daily basis in a few ways. First, we get to see God when we comprehend Him, when we understand who God is. Matthew 13 brings this up, this idea that you hear the gospel, you understand the gospel. We get to see God through comprehension. And when we understand God, we understand his existence, his eternal existence, his majesty, his presence, his preeminence, his his glory, his love, grace, mercy. The list goes on. We get to understand those things. You see, between the, the what will be and today, we get to experience God and see him now. I, I, I try to put myself in situations to experience God. And in one way, I don't know, this, this sounds a little weird, but in one way, I, live, live, I love living by the lake because there's so many bald eagles around. And for some reason, when, I, when I'm praying or when I'm talking with God or I'm reading Scripture, there's nothing greater than just to see a bald eagle fly over a head. And in that moment, something just kind of happens in my soul, and it's like almost I experienced God in a way that day. And maybe you have that same feeling with something else. Maybe you've experienced God today already. You see, we experience God in the here and now. And furthermore, like I said, those who have faith in Jesus, we can see God in nature and Scripture, in the midst of our church family, and also in our circumstances. And so this should be the goal for all of us Christians is to understand that the pure in heart will see God. That's their reward. They will see God in what will be, but also we get to see God in the here and now. But we're kind of left with an issue, aren't we? And I haven't really addressed it yet because it says the peer in heart will see God. The peer in heart will experience everything I just talked about, but there's a really big Problem, is that we are not pure in heart, are we? We are hypocrites. We are defiled to our core. And that's an issue. If, if the pure in heart will see God and who cannot create in them ourselves pure hearts, then logically it follows that we will not see God. That's just the logical Conclusion to this. This is really bad news. Sorry. This is bad news. Matthew 15, 17 through 20 shows us why and gives us a reason of why we are not pure in heart. Look at what it says. It says, Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer, which we can all relate to. But the words you speak come from the heart. And then it says, that's what defiles you. Your heart is what defiles you. It ruins you to your core. And then it goes on. For from the heart, and this is why we're defiled or ruined, because from our heart come our evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. This is what comes out of us. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Just to give a little context to this, the the Pharisees, again, are appalled that some people aren't washing their hands or following the rituals to to cleanse themselves. Now, we all should wash our hands, right? Because of COVID, okay? So wash your hands. But washing your hands does nothing to your heart. And yet the Pharisees are saying that washing your hands is following the ritual and that's going to cleanse you and purify you so that you get to see God. And Jesus is saying, nope, that's not what happens. Your heart is defiled. That's where all of your defilement flows from. It's the spring from which your life comes. That's the problem. Our impurities, our hypocrisy, our defilement flows from the heart. And here's a good test of, to see where your heart is. A good test to see where your heart is is by what you say, by your words. What flows out of the mouth reveals what's in your heart. What flows out of the mouth reveals what's in your heart. And really, by what we say, and especially in this time, when everybody wants to share their words and their talk, It's very revealing of where your heart is. And so our words show us a few things about our hearts. First, our hearts are not completely free from evil. So even if you have faith in Christ and you have a pure heart, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit, we're still not free from this evil. So we have to watch our words. Further than that, we speak evil more regularly than we think. This is something that hits me hard on a pretty daily basis. There are some things I say that I'm like, why did I say that? Have you, have you experienced that? We, talk more ev- we speak evil more regularly than we think. And then also our words show us that we love to blame others for our evil words. <laughs> How many times have you said, like, oh, man, I lost it today because that guy cut me off. So You just blame that guy for what you said? we can't pass blame. We love to blame others for our words. And so what we need to understand is that our loose lips reveal what our desire is in our sinful hearts. What we say reveals what our sinful desires are within our hearts. You see, the issue of our heart, our defilement, is what Matthew 15 showed us. It's sin. And sin is this idea that we fall short of the glory of God. Sin brings this idea that we miss the mark. But here's the biggest issue with sin. Sin is an issue of the heart before it ever becomes an issue of behavior. Let me say that again. Sin is an issue of the heart before it ever becomes an issue of behavior. It's our greatest problem in life because it's what's keeping us from seeing God. And that's our biggest problem in life. COVID's not our biggest problem. The fact that we can't see God apart from a pure heart, that's our biggest issue. And so then we have to ask the question, well, is there a solution? Of course there is. Of course there is. And many of you know the solution. The solution is the good news of Jesus Christ. The solution is the gospel because it promises nothing less than a new heart, one that is no longer enslaved to the passions and desires of a sinful nature. The good news of Jesus Christ is the fact that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but yet left his throne to enter into our world. And you know, he did this because we have impure hearts, so he lived a life that is pure. And then when he died a criminal's death on the cross and raised three days later, you know what happened? When we place our faith in Christ, you know what he does? He gives us a new, pure heart. And he takes our impure heart. We talked about that a few weeks ago. That's the great exchange. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us this new, pure heart so that so that we can see God. That's the solution. It's leaning into the fact that you cannot purify your own heart by your religious practices. Your heart can only be purified through the gospel of Jesus, through faith in Christ. And so... If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, you may be wondering, hey, what, what step do I need to take? Because that's our mission here, to help people move one step closer. Well, today, maybe your step is to simply follow Romans 10.9. To declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Notice how it doesn't say just to believe that God exists. We have to believe that Jesus truly died on the cross and yet rose again because it's through the resurrection in which our hearts can be purified. And when that happens, you will be saved. You will be given a new heart. You will be given a purified heart. Now, for those of you who already have faith in Christ, and you're farther along the journey, your step today would be this. To pray this prayer out of Psalm 139, 23, and 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my Why should we pray this? Because it's in our heart where all of our defilement is. And this is a very humble prayer saying, God, I am defiled. I need you. Please search my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts, which Jesus says, do not be anxious. Point out anything in me that offends you, which means teach me your ways. Unite my heart to fear your name. And so today, as we close this morning, I just want to challenge you with that beatitude. God blesses those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. We need to lean into the fact that we cannot purify our own hearts with religious practices. And so let me just say this very lovingly. Give it up. And lean in to the grace of and the love of Jesus, because it's only Jesus that can purify our hearts. You're still going to battle with your sinful nature. You're going to still battle with your defilement, but that means on a daily basis we have to lean into Christ, that he will search us, that he will know us, and that he will teach us his ways instead of the ways of the Pharisees, of the hypocrites. And so as we leave today, we have one last thing. Every week we've been challenging you guys to, do, to be the light, if you will. And so we want you to be the light in your community. We've been challenging you to do certain things. And because our words reveal what's truly in our hearts, my challenge for you is very hard this week. Because it's not easy to do this. We want to challenge you guys to have a conversation with someone whom your words have hurt. And so really start praying. Start praying for God to give you the boldness. Start praying for God to reveal to you maybe someone you have hurt and go to them, make amends, apologize for your sinful heart. Okay? That's my challenge to you guys today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the fact that We can have a pure heart so that we can see you. One thing we all desperately desire is to be in your presence, not only in what will be, but also today. And so, God, I pray that you would work in us that pure heart. I pray that you would continue to show us your grace and, and mercy and love every day so that we can follow you, so that our hearts can be united to you, so that we can fear your name. God, we love you and we give you all the glory today. We pray this in your name. Amen.